Amen. So love God, love people. I love that I'm at the end of the month because there's not much more to say. <laughs> but um, I, I just want to affirm what's already been spoken this month. We've had Sean, we've had Nick, we've had John last week, which was incredible as well. Thank you, John. Um, and it's just been a great reminder of things that we may have already known, but also things that we've learned throughout the month. It's a, such a powerful theme or um, mandate to love God, to love people. And it is simple. Yet it's often something that we completely miss the mark on. <laughs> uh, we overcomplicate it and we distort it through the lens in which we view it. We take that phrase and we can often um, put our own lens, our own worldly lens on it, and we distort it rather than seeing it uh, through the lens of Jesus. But it can be simple and it should be the simple mandate um, by which, which we live. And, and if we get into alignment with these two things as much as possible, we're going to be on the right trajectory. But I would actually go as far as to say, if we get in line with the first one, if we get in line with the first one of loving God right and well, then the overflow and the outworking of that will be that we will love people well as well. So this morning, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, as simple as it should be, by loving God, by knowing God. Loving God, by knowing God, and loving people, by seeing people. Love God, know God, love people, see people. So if you would turn with me to 1 John 3, uh, verses 1 to 3. 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. Oh, by the way, Sean is coming for lunch today. He's my other half. He's um, out in Papamoa preaching at Evans Road, but he sends his love and he will be here um, for lunch. So we do have our volunteers' lunch on that note <laughs> while you're finding First John. Um, we do have our volunteers' lunch straight after. Well, we're going to have morning tea first, um, pack up, and then we'll be heading into the other room where we'll have our volunteers lunch. So if you have served in eating capacity, um, if you just want to come and have lunch with us, there's lots of food. So just come and have lunch. You're all welcome. You're all welcome. Um, are we there yet? First John 3, 1 to 3. Behold, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. When John wrote this passage, he was an old, old man. So there's no excuses. He was an old man, but he was old with this fire in his belly. He had this incredible fire within him that burned so strong. He was incredibly passionate. Scholars think that 1 John was written around AD 85 to 95 to believers in um, what is today Turkey. And it is a belief that he wrote this letter while he was living in Ephesus. And at the time of its writing, many Christians were um, experiencing this crisis of faith. That had Jesus, the, the whole um, revolution had happened of, 
you know, following after Jesus. And, and now there was this crisis of faith that was happening because of persecution, but also because of false teaching. Some had returned to Judaism and others were floundering, confused by the messages that perhaps Jesus was and he wasn't fully human and fully God. Others wrestled with just being able to love one another. Yet John, convinced without a shadow of a doubt, writes to encourage and to challenge, and he does so with this undeniable conviction and passion, an incredibly passionate follower of Christ. In fact, Eusebius, who was a historian in the third century AD, he was one of the first um, church historians, he preserves the story about John in his final days, and I'm going to read it to you because when I read it, I was just like, whew. You get a snapshot of John in the Bible, um, but this story, I think, just sums up what John is really like. It sums up his love for God and his love for people, his love for the one. So it's in the late first century, and John the Apostle has just returned from exile on the island of Patmos, and he's traveling around anointing bishops. In one city, he gives the um, new bishops a special charge to look after the spiritual health of this young man. And he says, this one I commit to you in all earnestness, earnestness in the presence of the church and with Christ as witness. The bishop taught the young man all he knew and he, he baptized him in faith. He gave them the teachings of Jesus. But unfortunately, soon after, the young man fell in with the wrong crowd. And um, first of all, he just started dabbling with worldly pleasures, but soon enough, he became, he, he got involved in this life of robbery and crime and gang-like behavior. The young man still had a conscience, though, um, and realized that what he was doing was wrong. However, rather than repent and turn back to God, he felt that his wrongdoings were beyond God's forgiveness and that God's mercy does, didn't reach to him. So he plunged himself deeper into this lifestyle of sin. Um, Eusebius writes that eventually he became a bold bandit chief, the most violent, the most bloody, the most cruel of them all. Some time passed and then John returned back to this city again. And as soon as he arrived, he asked this bishop about the young man. And the bishop broke down in tears and, and groaned, and he explained to John what had happened to this young man. Again, this is how Eusebius describes John's reaction. The apostle ripped his clothes, and beating his head with great lamentation, he said, A fine guard I left for a brother's soul, but let a horse be brought to me, and let someone show me the way. Where this young guy was now living was up in the mountains, and no one dared go up there. Because they knew that if they would go up there, they would be um, taken prisoner. They would be tortured. It was no one went there. John said, bring me a horse and show me where he is. Sure enough, he got there and he was taken prisoner. But he didn't resist. He just said to the people, take me to your leader. The young man was armed and waiting to see this new prisoner. And, but when he saw it was John... He turned in shame and fled. John, forgetting his age, it's another word for somebody, forgetting his age, pursued him with all his might. 
and Eusebius writes, crying out, why, my son, do you flee from me, your own father, unarmed and aged? Pity me, my son. Fear not. You still have hope of life. I will give account to Christ for you. If need be, I will willingly endure your death as the Lord suffered death for us. For you, I will give up my life. Believe Christ has sent me. John's words penetrated this young man's heart. And when he heard, he first stopped and he looked down and then he threw his arms in surrender, trembled and wept bitterly. And when the old man, when John approached him, he embraced him, making confession with him and baptizing him for the second time with his tears. But John wasn't done with him yet. And, and praying with him with copious prayers and struggling together with him in continual fasting and subduing his mind um, by various utterances, he did not depart, as they say, until he had restored him to the church, furnishing a great example of true repentance and a proof of regeneration, a trophy of visible resurrection. Look it up. It's such a powerful story. Eusebius. John, a man so passionate about God and therefore about people, he saw the one. He saw this young man because he knew his God. He knows God and he sees people. Behold, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. John was old, but he was not done. And only one thing mattered to him, loving God and loving people, knowing God and not just knowing about him. He had walked with Jesus, but after Jesus' death, he pursued God. He pursued this intimate, relational experiencing of God, not just knowing about him. He knew that if you know God, nothing can be taken away from you. Nothing can be taken away from you. There is nothing to worry about. You may have feelings. You may feel the emotions, but you can face anything. What John is saying about knowing God is that it's not this matter of trying harder or working harder, but just surrendering yourself into his presence and experiencing God in all his fullness. God is inviting you to be born again and adopted into his family. And John instructs us that this is what we must do. And when we do this, the love of God transforms us forever. In John 17, Jesus says, Love them as you love me, that we should be called children of God. See, we actually go beyond adoption, don't we? We're not just being adopted into the family, that we are children of God. That is what we are. We are his child and his love transforms us and renews us. We, go, we are born again to be his child 
and he bestows, um, he lavishes on us his love in a way that changes us. So the way to know God is to personally experience him. And I know I've spoken about this before, but it's something that we can just keep being reminded of. We need to know God. John is writing about this in his letter. But even if you look at the way that he's writing, he's actually showing us what it is to know God, what it is to love God. Behold, I see it. I see it. I experience it. I know it. Behold, when you know God in a way that you experience God, truth overflows. You can't stop the truth overflowing. Truth about Christ, truth about who you are, it makes your rationality just go crazy and it flows out into everything else in your world. Behold, I see it. It goes from head and it goes to heart. It goes from... um, Analysis to intuition. No longer do you know about something in this detached way, but now you see all the connections. It makes sense. There is revelation. You know, it's like when you've known something for a really long time, but then all of a sudden it's like this lightning moment and, and wow, that's truth that I knew, but now I know. <laughs> um, it feels like you've known it forever but you've never known it before. It may be a verse. Sometimes, you know, you're reading your Bible and and a verse just goes, it hits you. You've known that verse all your life since you were knee high, but all of a sudden it's like, whew, new revelation, new word. Um, It may be um, a passage in the Bible that someone's preached out of and you go, I've never seen it like that before. I've never heard it like that before. I've never experienced it like that before. It's that fresh word, that fresh um, revelation. Or it could be an idea that becomes new. My children, they know that I love them. I'm their mum. They know that I love them. Um, They've been told this often. I show them often. We have this um, game in our house. Well, they've made it into a game where I've always said to them, you're not allowed to walk past me without giving me a hug. And so, of course, they make it their game to try and walk past me without me reaching out and and hugging them. Um, And I tell them at night, I say, I love you. And they'll say back to me, I love you too, mum. I love you more. I love you more. I love you the most. I love you the most. I love you more than the most. And we keep going on like that. Um, unless, of course, they've gone to bed in a grump because <laughs> I'm not their favorite person at that time. But they know that I love them. They know, they know that I love them. But the other night I was putting Nate to bed <clears throat> and we were talking a little bit and I, was, I prayed for him because he's just been struggling a little bit in certain areas and I prayed for him um, and then I held him and I just said, I didn't even think about it, I just said, do you know how much I love you? And he started crying, like this new revelation of experiencing again the love of his mother for him. And that's what knowing God is like. When you just continually have these new revelations, this new freshness, this new closeness, Something that you've known about God becomes so real to you. Something that you know that somebody loves you, but now you're experiencing it in this new and fresh way. It moves to your heart. 
knowing to beholding, knowing to seeing, knowing to experiencing, knowing to loving God in such a new and profound way. The second part is loving people by seeing people. I heard this said once and it stuck with me. If you want to know if you are loving God, look at how you love your neighbor. If you want to know how you love your neighbor, look at how you love your enemy. If you want to know how you are loving God, look at how you love your neighbor. If you want to know how you love your neighbor, look at how you love your enemy. If we are loving God, if we're knowing him and we're experiencing him in that new and a fresh way continually, the outworking and the overflow of that will be that we will love others well. When we see people not through our own lens, but through the lens of Jesus, we need to see people. When we look to the heart of the person and see them for who they are. And this is not easy. And I know Sean spoke about this earlier this month. This part's not easy. Because of course it's easier to love those who you love and and who love you in return. To respect those who respect you. To accept those, to forgive those, to trust those who are like you. But we must remember that every person is unique. They have their own unique set of childhood experiences. They have their own unique set of internalized uh, messages, whether right or wrong, that they have internalized. They have hopes and dreams inside of them. And I think the cry of everybody's heart is to be seen through the lens of love. John 13 verse 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. John 15 verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 1 John 3 verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. 1 John 4 verse 21, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Something John's so passionate about, hey? But he knew God, so we take this. We need to love people the way God loves people. Love one another as I have loved you. This is a directive. It's a mandate. It's not an invitation. However, in saying that, it should come out of the overflow of loving God first. So it doesn't become an obligation, I must love you. It's not this obligatory, what's that word? Yeah, that word. Uh, It's not that sort of love that I must love you and ho-hum, here we go. (laughs) But because I know God, because I've experienced God so closely, the overflow, the outworking of that will be, I will love people well. We want to become more Christ-like. That's why we're Christian, (laughs) to become Christ-like. And the more time we spend with God, the more we become like him, the more we act like him, the more we will see others the way God sees them. In Ephesians 5 verse 2, it says, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It was love 
that brought Jesus to earth. It was love that took Jesus to the cross. And it was love that kept Jesus on the cross. We too are to walk in the way of love. Walk a life of loving well. Do we always get this right? (laughs) Nope. Are there people in life that we don't get on with, that we don't particularly like, that we maybe don't trust, that we don't understand their worldview? Yep. But does this excuse us from loving people, from seeing people? We need to see people. We need to see them for all they are. See the needs of our community and try and meet them. Be friendly. Be kind. Speak hope. Speak Jesus. Get rid of the judgment and the condemnation because there is no room for negativity in love. And ask God to help. He wants to help us. He's asking for us to ask him to help. You know, the number of times that I have struggled with a particular student in my class, Andy and Charlotte will relate here, where I've struggled, not, I teach this son, it's not their son. <laughs> I mean their own students. <laughs> um, <laughs> that could have gone well. <laughs> it's not your son, I promise. <laughs> but the number of times I have struggled with children in my class over the years and I just go and sit in their chair at the start of the day before they've even arrived and just pray for them. Pray for them. And things change. Not their behavior or not their needs, but my heart changes. My heart changes towards them as I begin to see them through the lens of Jesus. It changes my heart. Our heart needs to be changed for the world around us. We need our hearts to be changed. We need to be and bring the glory, as John was saying last week. We need to be the glory that fills this earth. We need to be the beauty that fills this earth. We need to show the love of God to the people around us, those who are near and dear, our family, our close friends, the people that we travel and journey life with, but also those who are just acquaintances, people we maybe work with, um, those who we ever only see in passing. And I keep thinking of it, you know, even walking down the street, how can we show the love of God to the person who just passes me by that I may never see again? At the supermarket, how can we... Lift our eyes heavenward, kingdom focused, rather than I've had such a bad day and I'm in such a hurry and this person's taking too long and I've chosen the wrong aisle again. Does that happen to everyone? You always choose the wrong aisle. (laughs) But how can we lift our eyes heavenward, have a kingdom view of how we can love people well? Like John, may we grow old with this passion and this fire in our belly that cannot be contained. Knowing God in such an intimate and personal way that overflows from our everything, from our absolute everything into this world, that we may be the beauty, that we may be the glory that fills this whole earth 
shining the love of Jesus 